Well, our hymn uh, gave glory to God, and I would like to uh, begin by giving glory to God also. Last week, uh, we studied uh, Amos chapter uh, 3. We began there, and uh, we saw in verse 2, You only have I known of all the families of the earth. And I just wanted to uh, stop there and, and say, well, how... How does, that ha- how does that happen? How does God know one uh, nation above the others? Well, uh, it was because he uh, chose them. And there, there seemed to me to be a structure with all uh, seas. Uh, but he chose them. He gave them his uh, covenant. He conversed with them. Uh, he commanded them. He gave them uh, his law. Uh, he carried them along. He uh, cared for them. Uh, he corrected them and chastened them. And it, it's really uh, because of, of his will. It's God's will that that would be the case. The counsel of the Lord uh, stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations, uh, says the Psalms. Uh, Psalm 115, verse 3, our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. And even Nebuchadnezzar at the end of his days, when he was driven out into the wilderness, said, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever, for his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? No one can say, well, that's not fair. Or why did you do this, God? Because he's God. He does what's right. Uh, later in, uh, in uh, Amos, we'll say that he does something by his holiness. And you cannot have a higher standard than God's uh, holiness. So we may have questions, uh, but the answer is that God, in his pleasure, uh, ordained it and, and uh, made these choices in history. So we come to chapter 3, uh, 7 and 8. We, we looked at the picture of the, uh, uh, the two that walk together and the bird and the trap. And then 7 and 8, God does nothing without revealing his secret to his servants, the prophets. And uh, the trumpet call and the disaster do not come out of the blue. Uh, God always warns and calls his people to repentance. Uh, many sins, in a sense, provoked many prophets and many idols, uh, caused God to send many voices against those idols. Uh, God now reveals through Amos the judgments upon Israel, and uh, there's special knowledge of God's purposes that are that are given to the to the prophets. Uh, uh, Peter says they they had this spirit in them, and they and they searched and they couldn't figure out what it what it what it meant, but but they were. Uh, given uh, clear things uh, as well. He shows the prophets his plan to judge and they speak plainly to the nations. All the people's sins are uncovered and uh, revealed uh, and condemned. He calls them his servants. Uh, He gives them the words to say. He he makes their words have power, but their their words uh, are a a burden. Their words are something they, they carry with them. In Job, uh, Elihu, who is the youngest person, he comes along and he listens for a long time. And then in uh, Job 32, 18, and 
verse 19, he, he finally speaks and he says, uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm bursting like wineskins. I can't wait to, to say what's on my heart. Uh, Jeremiah says this of himself also. He says, if I say I will not mention him or speak any more in his name, there is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I am weary with holding it in, and I cannot hold it in. So the, the prophets are, are given this burden. They're given this fire, in a sense, in their heart to speak the name of God. Verse 8 reminds us, the lion has roared. Amos chapter 1, verse 2 said, the Lord roars from Zion. Joel chapter 3, verse 16 said, the Lord roars from Zion. But now, it's in the past tense, the lion has roared. Uh, God has spoken. His name is, is underscored, the Lord God. Uh, God's word has all the power. God's word uh, is spoken, and it's the divider uh, of the hearts of men. Uh, we must all respond to God's word, and we must uh, respond correctly. Uh, there is a, a good reason to fear the words of the Lord and immediately uh, respond to them and not be a hearer only, uh, uh, but a doer of the word. The question comes, who can but prophesy? And uh, in light of what the prophets are seeing, in light of what God is saying, that they have to speak. If, if you had a child that was a, a young child running towards uh, the street, uh, running out onto Highway 50 or something, you would say, wait, stop, don't go out there. Uh, and in a sense, that's what the what the prophets did. Uh, God put it in their hearts. They saw the idolatry. They saw the judgment coming. They were told, and, and they had to go out there and say, wait, Israel, stop. Stop the idolatry. Stop what's going on. They were called by God. They were sent by God. They were given the words of God. They were given gifts and abilities by God. And, uh, and really, also, they were given holy boldness by God. They went right out and they, they said exactly what was going on. They didn't mince words. We remember several times that, that Paul says, uh, pray for boldness. He would say, well, Paul, why pray for boldness? You seem like you're one of the boldest people. You go in the synagogues all the time. They're threatening you all the time. And you pick yourself up from whatever happens and you go right back in there. But he still recognizes, I need, I need God's boldness. And the, the, the prophets are like that. But, but Paul and the prophets have nothing to boast of. 2 Corinthians 4, 7. We have this treasure in jars of clay. Another uh, translation is earthen vessels. We're, we're nothing. We're like this cup that I put water in. It's just holding water for me to, to drink, he says. He says, we're have the treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Amos's message and Paul's message, any scriptural message, any apostolic message, is showing God's surpassing power. You can't say, well, I'm, I'm a prophet, you know. Amos never looked at that. He said, no, God took me from tending, tending sheep and, and dressing figs. I'm no nothing. All the prophets the same. They, they, they had to speak. Paul says, we proclaim 
what is not our, of ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. That's what the, that's what the prophets did too. They said, I'm not, I'm not proclaiming myself, I'm proclaiming God's message. And it's not so you can be impressed with me, it's so that I can serve you and help you. One of the writers says, the personalities of the preachers of the cross must be marked by the cross. And then the whole, uh, the whole um, message of the prophets has these predictive aspects of it. Uh, the task of the Old Testament prophet, uh, Motier says, was to address the present in the light of the future. Uh, here, judgment's coming. In Joel, it was the day of the Lord. Well, when's the day of the Lord? What's going to happen to the day of the Lord? They, they're speaking now, but, but they're addressing uh, that in the light of the future. Uh, the historical now receives its seriousness from the viewpoint of the end of all things. And, and, that's, and that's good. Now is the day of salvation because there will be judgment coming. Jesus will return. Now we have to listen to the word because I need to build my faith. I need to strengthen my understanding of the gospel. Uh, Motir continues, it's not crystal gazing or fortune telling. It was God's future. The coming acts of God as arising out of the nature of God and his working in the affairs of the earth. So the Israelites strayed and he, he waited but forbearance doesn't mean that nothing is ever going to happen. Men have that, men have that in their hearts. They say, well, I don't, I don't see any judgment. Well, if you look, it's, it's really all around us. Prediction came about as part of the prophet's conscious fellowship with God. They, they, were, they were close and God said, this is my message. This is what I need you to say. The outcome of this fellowship was the unique task of speaking on earth the very words of God. Uh, Amos didn't approach this and say, well, I think this is what God said to me. I think this is what he means. No, he, he knew this was God's words. How many times in the scriptures it's thus says the Lord. The, even though it's a man speaking, uh, God gave those words. The words of Amos weren't uh, quasi-mechanical. That's not my, my uh, language, but they weren't quasi-mechanical. He wasn't like God's typewriter, and he, he wasn't like an animated tape recorder. He was a, a real man. He was a real person like you and me, but, but called. There is a, a fullness of his individual personality, his temperament, and his humanity were all there. And you, you can see that we're, in a sense, talking about the inspiration of the scriptures, too. Because that wasn't, that wasn't skipped so that somebody wrote down something. Luke's personality wasn't skipped, even though he said, well, I'm going to get all these documents together, and I'm going to search carefully all the facts. It still had personality. It still had the humanity. Uh, Motier says, we're dealing with a unique thing, and these are the dimensions of the uniqueness. The dimensions of the uniqueness is... God gives his word to somebody, and that's really God's word to, to other people. Uh, the nearer a man is brought to God, the more truly human he becomes. The more he reflects the likeness of God, the more he is a man. That's true. That's what we should, that's what we should try to be. The more you reflect a, a godly woman, the more you become the true woman that God made you to be, the, or, or the man. 
It is because Jesus is the Son of God that he can become the Son of Man. For the purposes of communicating his message, God gave to his servants, the prophets, a unique fellowship with himself. This very experience with, which brought them into the knowledge of God and his ways, his plans for the future, and his message for now also brought them to a fuller, truer, finer flowering of their own humanity. They, they, they became something else. They became better. They became more Christ-like, we would say. Thus, the Amos who spoke the very words of God was not in typewriter fashion less human than before, devalued from being a full person, but he was more Amos than ever. That, that's true. The danger in our day is we have so many people that, that have run, but they haven't been called. We have so many people claiming to be prophets and apostles in all these high rankings of, in the stratosphere of, uh, of God, but the, they're, they're really not called in the right way. Uh, their message is a, a message of error or some other things. Well, then God goes on in, in uh, verse 9 to 15 with a combination of, of different uh, prophecies. He says, I say everything by the prophets, and then verse 9 starts with proclaim. Proclaim. Notice, the lion has roared, the Lord has spoken. Who can but prophecy proclaim to the strongholds in Ashdod? And you'll see that he's giving the command. Here is the uh, advent uh, of the future. God will display their sins to their enemies, and uh, they'll witness God's destruction, and already he's predicted judgment on the nations, the beginning of the book, the six nations, he went all the way through. There's the repetition of strongholds here, as there were in the early portion of, of Amos. There is no stronghold against the Lord, and that's really what God's getting at. I'm going to come right to where you think your strongest point is. Uh, with some people, they think their intellect is their stronghold. Uh, but God will address all the wickedness, uh, as he says, the strongholds in Egypt, the mountain of Samaria, see the tumults and the oppressed in her midst. And uh, he says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you that they were, uh, they were in ease. They were just doing what they wanted to, but they were acting wickedly. And, and God says, I'm going to show you what's going to happen to them. And then the, the summary there. Uh, in verse 10, they do not know how to do right, declares the Lord. Those who store up, they're, they're storing up things. One of the worst things you can do is store up more sin uh, uh, in light of God. They store up violence and robbery in their strongholds. They do not know how to do right. Uh, Micah chapter 6, when we get there, we'll, we'll see the same uh, this, the same emphasis. Micah 6, 10 through 12. Can I forget any longer the treasures of wickedness in the house of the wicked and the scant measure that is a curse? Shall I acquit the man with wicked scales and with a bag of deceitful weights? Your rich men are full of violence. Your inhabitants speak lies and their tongue is deceitful. Uh, in their mouth. He, he, he says, well, 
He says, you, you're practicing all this false stuff. You've got bad weights and balances. You're oppressing. And God says, can I forget all those things that you did? And then notice... Notice uh, verse 11, therefore, uh, thus says the Lord God, and then he's going to give them uh, the results. The, thus says the Lord. This is what God is saying. It, 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 underscores, it underscores what we just said about the prophets, and, and we actually are going to see uh, in this section uh, that emphasis becomes greater because it'll repeat, declares Yahweh, declares Yahweh, declares Yahweh. So there's three steps. The adversary will surround. They'll bring down your defenses. Uh, the strongholds will be uh, plundered. There's a progression uh, of war, of siege, and uh, conquering. In chapter, chapter 4, he'll say that there's going to be a breach, and that's how you're going to go out. Uh, uh, ancient times, they put fish hooks in people, and they, carried, they had them uh, lined up with fish hooks pu pulling them, and in uh, chapter 4, he says, that's how you're going to go out. And then uh, verses 12 to 15, here is another uh, picture of judgment. Uh, and uh, uh, Traps says, by a country comparison, as before, oft or often, the prophet sets forth the fewness of such as shall escape the enemy's hands. So he calls it a country comparison. The, the pictures that Amos... Uh, has been painting, have been very clear, haven't they? A lion roaring, a bird falling into a snare, a, a young lion crying out, uh, the, uh, the drinking of wine, a heavy cart like a heavy load of judgment, uh, talking about the, the different things. Uh, Trapp calls it a, a country comparison. He, he, he's basically saying, God made, the, God made the words of judgment easy to understand. You can't mix this. He's not talking in theological terms. He's not talking in all words that you can't understand. He's talking about it's like a bird. It's talking about it's like this or it's like that. And, and then he goes on to this, this picture of the, the lion uh, stealing the, the sheep. Thus says the Lord, as the shepherd rescues from the mouth of a lion two legs or a piece of an ear, so shall the people of Israel who dwell in Samaria be rescued with a corner of a couch or part of a bed. And uh, so, so here comes a lion and it took your sheep. And uh, you end up with two legs and maybe an ear. And the, the word there is rescued. But what did you rescue? Well, I got this ear. I got these two legs. But see, the lion got everything else. You, you have, what do you have? Well, two legs and an ear, it's something. That's what God says is, is rescued. What's going to be rescued? Not much. What's going to be rescued from the lion's mouth? Not much. What's going to be rescued of Samaria and these places? Not much. There's nothing of value. Uh, there's a picture of this in, in Genesis. And Jacob is talking to uh, Laban. And he says, I never brought to you, the, the, basically, the pieces left over of an animal that was taken. He says, I took the loss myself. 
So if they were out in the field and they found some scraps of a, a lamb that was, was taken, Jacob said, I took the loss. We just picked up the carcass, as it were, and, and we, didn't, we didn't charge back. We didn't say, here, Laban, one of the, you know, you got you know, you to make good for this. One of the, the uh, sheep got taken. Similarly, the people of Israel who dwell in Samaria will be rescued. But what kind of a rescue? What will be left? Uh, the ESV says a corner of a couch and a part of a bed. One of the problems is that the, uh, the, the, the Hebrew is, is hard to understand there. Uh, the, the word could mean damask, like a, a, a cloth cover or the fabric damask. It might be a, a shorthand for Damascus because Damascus was in Samaria. It could just be this cloth. But, but we'll, we'll look at chapter 6 and verse 4. But, but think about the similarities. The lion and God are powerful enemies. You're fighting the lion to get the sheep, but the picture is it's a losing battle. You're, you're, you're fighting against the Assyrians. You're trying to protect your cities, your strongholds, but it's a losing battle. The rescue, the rescue in quotes, is, is almost nothing, a little or no value. Uh, the result, the end result, is staggering loss. What, what if somebody... Uh, conquered our homes and and all you could grab was a, a piece of cloth or a, a cushion. Kyle and David say, on the fall of Samaria and the plundering thereof, the luxurious grandees, so that's the name of the people. He's, he's saying, you know, they were like princes or earls. They were, you know, they were important people, right? These luxurious grandees who rest on costly pillows will only be able to save their life to the very smallest extent. That's what it's talking about. And that with great difficulty. So here you are. You're, the, you're a, uh, a, a, a BC couch potato. You live in luxury. You lounge around. And when your city is sieged and they come to conquer, that's all you're going to be able to grab is a piece of cloth or a pillow or, or something else. Uh, notice uh, Amos chapter 6, verses 4 through 7. It gives a, that picture of what he's talking about. Woe to those who lie on beds of ivory and stretch themselves out on their couches and eat lambs from the flock and calves from the midst of the stall, who sing idle songs to the sound of the harp and, like David, invent for themselves instruments of music, who drink wine in bowls and anoint themselves with the finest oils, but are not grieved over the ruin of Joseph. Therefore, they shall now be the first of those who go into exile, and the revelry of those who stretch themselves out uh, shall pass away. There's the, there's the picture right there. No, oh, we'll just sit around on our couch. We'll just sit around in, in luxury uh, on, in our home. And the uh, picture continues uh, with God's declarations. And here the and here the book makes a slight change. The book of Amos has 21 occurrences of declares the Lord or declares Yahweh. And uh, right there, right there in the end of uh, chapter 3, it, it begins. Uh, this section intensifies God's assuring the people that he is going to take action. Declares Yahweh underscores the absolute certainty of the events uh, that, that God is going to uh, bring about. It, it makes it 
it, it makes it more sure. And, and we've discussed declares the Lord or declares Yahweh uh, before. And in this section, it comes up nine times. Uh, chapter 3, verse 13, you, you could see that. De declares the Lord God, the God of hosts. Uh, verse 15, the end of the verse 15, declares the Lord. A and it's going to come over and over. Chapter 4, verse 3. Chapter 4, verse 5, 6, 8, 9, 10, 11. So, so this is going to underscore, declares Yahweh, declares Yahweh, declares Yahweh. Rem remember, we just studied the prophets. It's not, it's not declares Amos. Amos is saying, this is what God told me, so this is what God declares. Nine times in, in that uh, spot. He was patient. He raised his people up and cared for them. Now he declares uh, against them. And, and then verse 13, a, a powerful, powerful verse because, because God states his name in a different way. Hear and testify against the house of Jacob. That's the whole nation. Declares the Lord God, the God of hosts. That's important. He's underscoring. This is what God declares, the, the God of hosts. You, you can't say it enough. It's powerful. He says here, here, uh, God and Jesus have the right to tell people to hear. Jesus said many times, the person who has an ear, let him hear. In the book of Revelation, the seven churches, it's the same thing. Hear what he says. Hear what the Spirit says. The Holy Spirit says to those churches, hear, hear. So God says, hear. He designated the prophets. Jesus designated the apostles. Now there's pastors and elders. Hear what God has to say. And he testifies against the house of Jacob. Uh, that's uh, uh, Jacob as a, a name for the whole nation. Uh, in Micah, we'll see that, that he uses that uh, term differently than the, uh, the, the others. But here, Amos and Micah are the same. Jacob is the, is the, is the whole nation. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob is the, is the watershed. He had the 12 sons. The 12 tribes came from it. It represents the, uh, the nation. But then it declares the Lord God, the God of hosts. He, he's the God of, of, of everything. And he, he underscores it here. There, there's no doubt. There's no mistake who is, is speaking. One commentator says, The eternal Yahweh, the being of beings, the God of the whole earth, the God of the armies above and below, and being so great ought to be heard with the greatest attention and reverence in what follows. So when God says, this is what I'm declaring, we should say, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shut my mouth. I'm going to perk up my ears. I'm going to listen carefully. This is, this is God's word. This is what's going to happen. He's the God of hosts. It's the expansive name for God, the, the God of everything. Nine times in uh, Amos and 62 times in the book of Isaiah. It's interesting that Isaiah picks it up. He's, he's, he's wherever he is and he sees that vision. And the angels say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And then Isaiah says, I'm sinful and I'm in, a in with people who are sinful because I've seen the Lord of hosts. And the Lord of hosts is mentioned before that vision in Isaiah, but I would say that it characterizes his ministry afterwards. 
I'm a prophet. I'm a servant of the Lord of hosts. Right? The whole earth is, is filled with his uh, glory. So he sees the Lord of hosts and he says, the angels declare it and he says, I've seen him. And then Yahweh's action in uh, uh, verse 14, I'm going to punish, I'm going to strike. Uh, uh, excellent uh, quote about what happened to, the, uh, to them in the false worship. The visible replaced the invisible. The creature replaced the creator. And the unholy replaced the holy. And it all happened so easily, so sensibly, so in accord with sound national policy. Now, sensibly doesn't mean that it made sense to turn away from God. It doesn't mean that. It meant that in their view, that was sensible to do, just like our day. Oh, we, we don't want the Ten Commandments in our courtrooms. We, we don't even want you to say Christmas. It makes sense, doesn't it? Because you're making a religious statement if you say that. Those commandments, that's religious. You're forcing God upon, well, God's going to force himself upon people, isn't he? But that's the same thing. Well, it makes sense. It makes sense, doesn't it? I don't want to offend somebody that doesn't like Christmas. I'll call it something else. And there's, a, there's dozens of other things. All that happened so easily, so sensibly, so in accord with sound national policy. In other words, religiously and theologically, the mind of man had taken the place of the mind of God. That's what happens. Revelation was adapted, distorted, and trimmed until it matched human wisdom. And that's exactly what happens. Make a God in our own image. Make a God that doesn't care about sin. Some people that never profess Christ, you come to their funeral, they talk about how good they are, they've suffered pain, they're in a better place. I don't think so. But that's how it is. We can't call sin, sin. We can't tell people to repent. We can't say that, that God's judgment is upon others. Well, that's not nice to say. He's going to punish the altars of Bethel, it says. There, there shouldn't be altars in Bethel. There shouldn't be another uh, way of worshiping. But Jeroboam, you remember, you remember Jeroboam started it all. The kingdom split, and he said, I don't want people going back to Jerusalem. So he set the whole thing up. Altars, days, feasts. He made priests. He made the whole thing up. How much worship... Uh, now has God's blessing. People just think, oh, I'll, you know, I'll go where I feel like going. I'll go where they do uh, what I think is, is okay. It, but it's not saying what kind of worship pleases God, what really pleases God. And his holiness, uh, the Lord of hosts. And, and then he says, we'll, we'll cut off the horns of the altar. Uh, there is an, uh, a, a, an interesting thing there in the uh, First Kings 13, Jeroboam, he tried to uh, take the, the lead in worship. He, he said, well, I'm the king. I might as well go in there. And a man of God comes and speaks to him. And he says, no, you get out of here. And, it, and it, his, his hand dries up. Uh, in uh, 1 Kings 150, 
Adonijah thinks he's going to be king and not Solomon. And then they find out, no, Solomon was anointed king. So he says, uh-oh, I'm going to get killed. So he runs in and he grabs the altar. And he's hanging there. They say, where is he? Well, he's, he's hanging on to the horns of the altar. He thought that that was protection. And God says, no, I'm going to cut the horns of the altar off. I'm going to, I'm going to destroy all this false worship. All the altars, all this system of worship, the site of false worship, everything, I'm going to destroy it. Verse 15, here's all the dwellings, the winter house, the summer house, the ivory, the, they used to uh, inlay things with ivory, right? You'd have ivory walls or something or ivory floors. Uh, Ahab built a, an ivory house, it says, and the great house. Here, here's another picture of the home, right? They are at home. They're, they're in their couch. They're on their beds. They're oppressing the poor. They're false worship. And they think, wow. I got this nice couch. I'm set. I'm, I'm, I'm all set. Houses for seasons, richly appointed. They're large of great. You know, you know how people talk. I just bought a house 3,400 square feet. Five bedrooms, three bathrooms, this, 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 this. I, I once uh, uh, worked with a guy who, who spent $7,000 to watch TV because he had to have the, the, the best TV the best speakers, the best wires to connect the speakers, and all the speakers had to be exactly placed so that when you sat there, you felt like you were right in the middle of everything. $7,000 to watch television. You see, but what God is saying is that's what you could do with your house, but you're only going to escape with the remote because everything's going to be taken. You'll never get all of that stuff out. You, they're not going to let you carry the TV and all the speakers and the wires. And, and they're not going to listen to you when you say, wait a minute, that cost me 7000 bucks." These two guys used to come in. Oh, I'm going to get a X, XYZ 5822 antenna. Oh, that, that antenna costs $1,200. Yeah, oh, only the best for me. But what are you going to do? It's the, it's the same thing like the guy with the barns. Man, I got a good eye. I got so much stuff. I've got to build more barns and silos. And God says, no, you got an appointment tonight. You got an appointment with Yahweh tonight. You, you're not going to be building anything. And then at the end of verse 15, for the second time, declares Yahweh, declares the Lord. That this really is going to happen. From God's mouth to Amos's mouth to the ears of the people, declares the Lord. And then chapter 4, chapter 4, it's interesting because the declares the Lord's start. And then chapter 4, you remember, hear this word was an organizing thing. Chapter 3, verse 1, hear this word. Chapter 4, verse 1, hear this word. Chapter 5, verse 1, hear this word. But intertwined with those are the nine declares the Lord. And, 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 here, and here God gets in trouble, or Amos could get in trouble, because he calls the women cows. Hear this word, you cows of Bashan, who are on the mountain of Samaria, who oppress the poor and the crush the needy, and who say to your husbands, bring that we may drink. It's not a cow-cow. It's a woman that he's calling a cow. Well, that, that doesn't sit with me. Does it sit with you? 
But that's what God's calling them. But look at what they do. They oppress the poor, crush the needy, say to their husbands, bring that we may drink. This, this same luxurious life, but I'm not going to care for the poor. I'm going to oppress the poor. I'm not going to take care of other people. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lay it heavy on them. He's talking to the women in Israel. It's like the morally loose, partially dressed women of today. The, over, the overconfident, you know, we're better than anybody, women of today. It's not even on the scale of political correctness. You can't say that. You can't call wicked women cows. Well, God did. And Amos did. And that's where the boldness came in. But look at what they were doing. That's our generation would stop right there. You can't say that. Oh, even if you're doing all those wicked things. Oh, Amos called me a cow. I feel marginalized. That's what our day would be. Oh, I'm, mar I'm being marginalized. Well, you know what happened is you marginalized Yahweh. You marginalized God. People said, I want God into everything about him. Oh, it's far away from me as possible. And that's where we live. And that's where the world lives. And you can't even exhort them because they don't want to hear it. I feel marginalized. I'm overweight. And somebody said I was overweight. I feel marginalized. They come up with everything. But you've marginalized God. You've said, I don't want to hear about God at all. And you put God out of your life completely. Talk about being marginalized. He's vaporized. He's annihilated. And yet the conscience ticks, ticks, ticks in there. And, and every once in a while comes up. And people do what? They hold it down. Paul says they suppress the truth in unrighteousness and our our generation is exactly that they're concerned they're concerned when somebody says you're overweight they're concerned when somebody says you're doing something that's not right according to god they're concerned about that but they've already pushed god out completely look at the characteristic uh, sins and we'll uh, we'll end with these four things the place is on the mountain of Samaria. And he mentions that in chapter 3, verse 9 and, and 6, verse 1. The, the Samaria was the, was the big place. Uh, Ahab and Jezebel built it all up and, and it just prospered. The, the, the reign of Jeroboam uh, was prosperous. They oppressed the poor. They crushed the needy. These were the sins of the nations. And Israel was supposed to be different. Right? The, a sojourner or a traveler that came into the nation of Israel, they were supposed to be taken care of. They were supposed to be watched. They're, they were supposed to be uh, made an example. You were supposed to even teach them about the Lord. But instead, they oppressed the poor and crushed the needy. And, and here is the uh, uh, abuse of bring drink. I mean, that happens a lot in our day. The, the, uh, the addiction to alcohol is incredible. But there's the abuse of wine and leisure. And partying, there's the, the abuse of this spirit. Like I got nothing else to do, let's just let's just drink, let's just ha have a, a party. Well, he'll go on to uh, uh, graphically uh, predict their punishment in uh, verses two and following. Uh, the Lord God has sworn 
by his holiness. That's the verse that I mentioned before. You cannot uh, get higher than that. You cannot swear by anything higher uh, than God's holy character. So we'll have that in mind as we close in prayer. God, we thank you for these stirring words of Amos. We thank you that you sent prophets. We thank you that you sent messengers. We thank you, we thank you especially uh, that you sent the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that we would heed these warnings and know uh, that you, Yahweh, declare your word uh, and you uh, can bring it about. We pray for our wicked and sinful generation, Lord, that you would have mercy on all those who do not follow you, on all those who would really want to erase any thought of God from their minds. Have mercy, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.